Good morning, Friends Church. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being with us online. Thanks for being with us in the room. Um, And I wanted to thank Jeff for that reminder to just take a breath and be present. I know that I needed that reminder today, rushing in here with my coffee for breakfast. Um, it was, it's been hectic, right? Sometimes these moments when there's pressure to gather, there's pressure to kind of make memories um, can kind of send us into a bit of a tailspin. So I am very thankful for this space and this opportunity just to, um, to be here and to receive and to take in. And I hope that, that uh, this space offers you the same thing. So my name's Emily. I'm part of our charitable giving team here at Friends Church. And one of the things that I would love to encourage you to do is that if you are grateful for this place, if you are thankful for Friends Church, that we would love if you would consider financially supporting us as well. We run on only the generosity of our donors. Um, like any charitable organization, um, it can be an up and down, and uh, things have been a lot of down lately, right, for a lot of us. And so if you have the capacity, the desire to give whatever amount fits for you, um, we would be very, very thankful for that gift. Uh, we do have an opportunity to set up a regular pre-authorized giving um, that can give us some consistency and give you an ability to plan. Um, you are in control of that, so you can change it whenever you need to as your, um, your income shifts and adjusts. Um, but we would really encourage you to take a look at that and consider supporting us in that way. Um, After the service today, we are going to have our discussion group in the library. So if you wanted to chat about this service, if you want to debrief about what you heard, bounce ideas off of people, um, there will be a group in there just uh, open for discussion and ready to chat. Thank you. Hmm. Thanks, Emily. I don't know um, if you would be aware of all the little things that you do on a regular basis without even noticing. Like just your, your habitual routine before you get ready to go to bed. You have kind of your list of things that you go, okay, I got to brush my teeth, I want to wash my face, I want to make sure the cats are fed, let's make sure the doors are all... You, you go through these lists one after the next, after the next, after the next... And then it's the lights out and into bed you go. Probably if you thought about your day, there's a ton of things you do that just happen, like clockwork, Groundhog Day. It's the same things you do every day. Certain things get what we call ritualized. It's just part of what we do again and again. Sometimes they're daily. Sometimes they happen on a weekly basis. Every Sunday night, we get ready for the work week coming ahead. We do these kinds of things. Friday nights, this is our routine Friday night. Oh, and Saturday mornings, we've got our routines there. Some of it, it's longer range than that. In fact, Thanksgiving is, is an event. It's a vacation, or for some, it's a, it's a ritualized dinner celebration with family where we come together. If you thought about your life and all the different rituals that you have built into it, and what those rituals do either for yourself or for others in your life, you'd probably be pretty amazed the important role that they play. When the pandemic hit, many of our rituals got pitched out the window. They were forced to be. You think about the funerals that got just sidelined 
weddings, graduations. Those are kind of the event kind of one-off types. But even the family celebrations, the things that you wove in, maybe your workout regimen got thrown out, your time spent with other people, and your relational style of relating and rituals that were built into your former life, out the window. We noticed it here on a Sunday morning. This place was empty. People were locked out. So people were starting to have to wrestle with, okay, so how does this work? It's interesting what that pandemic did in disrupting rituals. Now we're in this place post-pandemic. We're, we're starting to discover things went missing. And okay, so what are we doing there now? What is it? And for some and for some areas of our life, that was a good thing. We recognized that there were certain rituals that maybe had very little value or meaning for us. And actually dropping them was a blessing. But here's one thing that we have noticed here. In talking with so many people who are part of our community, when this ritual went away, their spiritual journey kind of went on hiatus. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't something they were planning on doing. They maybe start off with going to oh, we'll watch it on live stream or, you know, I'll podcast. We've talked to so many people who, after a short period of time, it just went away. So this level of intentionality, thinking deeply about who am I becoming? What kind of mark do I leave, want to leave on my world? What kind of goodness do I want to create in my life? What kind of impact do I want to leave in the people around me? Much of that intentionality got left behind. We've been thinking a lot about rituals. The ritualizing of the important things that lead us to what we've been talking about these last five weeks, the meaningful life. Things that we will do on a regular basis that lead to that. We can talk about the things that build it, but there's a whole different piece. You can say, well, here's the kind of things that will lead to a meaningful life. Then the, co- the question becomes, how do we even do those things to make sure we get there? For five weeks, beginning next week, we're starting a series called In the Groove. We believe we are in a very critical time right now where we will be intentional, we can be intentional about setting up the ritualizing of certain things that lead to the meaningful life we've been talking about. And if you're not intentional, you can replace great for okay. Really good stuff for, eh, it's all right. And five years later, go, what the hell happened? So five weeks to talk about the important pieces of your life, the events, the practices, the habits, that if you're wise, you will ritualize, you will build them into your calendar why they have a way of leading to beautiful things. Five weeks, we're going to talk about some big containers that have rituals within them. You pick, you decide, your life, your outcomes. But we want to get you thinking deeply about what it is you are now ritualizing and where they will lead, all right? That starts, uh, it's called In the Groove. It's going to be a great series. It begins next week. <sighs> My story of today isn't a great story. I've told you guys once before, but it's a while ago. It was a number of years ago. I was driving down the QE2 on a long weekend. Maybe like today. Traffic everywhere. And we're flying down. It was me and my brother-in-law. He's in a car in front of me. I'm behind him. We're flying down the far left lane as fast as we can go. 
All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just swerved, like I just see the car like jerk, and he starts flying through the traffic to the other side to the shoulder. Like, what in the world? So I'm, you know, trying to navigate and, you know, shoulder check and blah, blah, blah. But it's, you know, there's traffic everywhere. I finally get sliding behind him. I jump out of the car. I'm like, dude, what happened? And he points over my shoulder. He said, didn't you see that? You didn't see the car pulled over back there? What do you do in those moments when someone calls you out for missing something you should not have missed? I look back and I'm like, okay, yeah. Front of the hood's up. We reverse our cars down the, the side of the road. We hop out and a lady hops out of her car, probably, I don't know, late 40s maybe. She dressed like she was going to a really nice office job. We're like, oh, hey, what's going on? And she says, oh, I got a flat tire. Oh, okay. She's like, don't, no, don't worry about it. My husband's coming. He'll take care of it. And we're like, well, we're right here. Like, we literally, Indy 500, pit crew right here. We'll take care of this in like two minutes. So we rip everything out of her trunk. We get her up and running, like literally two minutes. And just as I'm walking away, just as we're, we're saying goodbye and saying, hey, She's like saying, thank you, thank you. And we're like, oh, yeah, no, we, and without thinking about it, I just said, hey, how long have you been here? And I'm already walking away. She says, two and a half hours. You've been on the side of the QE2 on a long weekend for two and a half hours. And no one stopped? The engineer brain in me is doing the math. Let's conservatively say 100 cars per minute, times, times. We're talking thousands, thousands of cars have passed her. And no one stopped. And that hit me because I was the person who wouldn't have stopped. I was flying by. I didn't even see her. So I'm assuming there's people in the traffic who are just like me, who are just like, whoa, whoa, there's a person over there, didn't see him. If my brother-in-law hadn't stopped, I would not have stopped. Or maybe people are looking at her going, well, probably she has someone coming, or you know, maybe she's just having a nap, don't want to disturb her. What if she's a killer? What if I pull over and she tries to kill me? Maybe she'll be angry. Something about that moment doesn't feel right in my soul. When we look back, we say, what is a meaningful life? Why do we do this thing? I look at it this way. A meaningful life is a life that if I died tomorrow and I look back at what I did today, I go, yeah, that was a good use of my time. I am proud of how I behaved today. Me flying by, that would not have made me proud. When you look in your life and you look at your, the world around you and you go, if I died tomorrow, 
This was Jeff's message a couple weeks ago. If I die tomorrow, am I happy with how I've lived today? Have I spent my time well? Have I spent my money well? Have I put my energy in the areas that I go, yeah, that matters right there, that We've been trying to find these, this idea of there's pathways to a meaningful life. Because sometimes when I say, you know, if you die tomorrow, first we're like, oh my God, I don't want to die, you know. But then I say, are you happy with how you live today? And often people will say, well, which by the way, if your answer is it's probably not super meaningful. <laughs> it's kind of the definition of that. So what we tried to do is we tried to create a rubric that says, what are pathways to meaning? If we're not sure if our life's meaningful, which, which areas can we look at and say, how do I create a meaningful life? And Jeff talked about it a couple weeks ago, this idea that when you behave in a way that you're wired to, often you find meaning there. So many of you, you've sent emails. You went and got the book, um, Now Know My Strengths. Who am I? What do I do good? I'm just, you know, Joe Schmo working nine to five, whatever. Oh, but I can do this well. And I can do this well. A pathway to meaning is to figure out what you're good at. If you're good at hospitality, you're that person who you can invite people into your home and they instantly feel relaxed and safe and comfortable. If that's what you're good at, how do you use that to create a meaningful life? There's a, so for everyone on the podcast, I'm waving at you today. Hey guys, there's, I don't know, like 28,000 people who ping our podcast per month. That's a lot of people. And I know you think that magically my voice gets translated onto the podcast, but it doesn't. There's a team of five guys who are wired. In fact, I picked them because they're wired to handle computers well. They're not scared of computers. Computers work for them. My wife is somehow, computers in her, just they're not friends. Whatever she tries to do, it doesn't seem to work for her. For these people, whatever they try and do, it actually works. If your computer's not working and they look over your shoulder, your computer will start working properly for you. That's these people. It's, their names are, uh, I'm going to get this right without looking Justin, Mark, Kevin, Scott, and Jose. Wired. I'm <laughs> getting a thumbs up from the guys at the back. Nailed it. Whenever I'm stressed, names go out of my head. These guys put time and effort because they're wired to handle computers well. So that 28,000 people. Is it meaningful to them? I never asked them. I probably should have. If you're hearing the sound of my voice, send me a message. But let me ask you this. If you were wired to do computers and you could build something that would impact the lives of 28,000 people per month, would that feel meaningful to you? That's using what we're wired to do as a pathway to a meaningful life. And again, the ways we're wired is a million things. You could be like, I'm strategic, and so helping people figure out how to get from A to B, that feels meaningful. I'm a person who collects data and content. 
having the perfect collection feels meaningful to me. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, compassion, joy, uh, peace, environmental concerns, whatever your thing is, if that's how you're wired, there's a pathway there often to meaning. Last week, we talked about this idea of our past. Everyone, anyone who's had a perfect past, raise your hand. So nothing bad's ever happened to you, nothing painful. I'm calling bullshit if you put up your hand, by the way. There's stuff in our past that just matters to us. I interviewed John Curl. Uh, if you got, didn't get a chance to hear it, go back and listen. Here's a man who, he's married, he's got two kids, teenagers, and suddenly his wife's feet start to get numb. And then she collapses. And they find out, the doctor comes and says, your wife has MS. So the, the air got sucked out of the room. That experience drew, created something in him, a passion to help people with MS. For 20 years, he's been riding and walking to raise money for MS. He's raised somewhere between fifty dollars and $70,000 on his own. Is that not incredible? He's taken something from his past and used it to create a passion to do something that's meaningful to him. When I asked him if it was meaningful, tears starts coming out of his eyes. Then he got me crying. I hate crying on stage. I hate that. What in your past? The AA program, you guys are amazing at that. Part of, I think it's the 12-step, and don't quote me if I screwed this up. The 12-step basically says, you've gone through this massive journey of sobriety to try and disconnect yourself from the pain and suffering of alcoholism. Now help people. Give back. Use a painful thing from your past through passion to do something to help people who are just like you. You can look at them and go, oh, I remember that. (laughs) The white knuckling. Yeah, I remember that. And there's a way forward. If you work the steps. If you grew up in a troubled home, if you grew up somehow you didn't fit, anyone who's queer in our community, you know what it's like to grow up. I, when, I, when I reached out to ask the queer people in our community, I said, hey, being queer in a church community is not a thing anymore, right? That doesn't matter anymore. And they're like, oh, Vince. <laughs> like these massive emails of just unbelievable pain and suffering. Here's what my church did to me growing up. Here's how they hurt me. Here's how it still hurts. Now you take that pain and you bring it back and you help new people who are going, whoa, church, I don't know. You're going, hey, let me tell you my story. There's a way into spirituality regardless of your sexual orientation. That's the second pathway to a meaningful life. Look at your past. Look at the things that hurt. Look at the things that were painful and figure out a way to help people who are going through that Help them avoid it. Help them manage it. Today, we're talking about the third and final piece of the puzzle, the final pathway. And it comes from the story of me completely missing a lady, like not even seeing her, and realizing she's been there for two and a half hours, and no one stopped. I didn't stop. I only stopped because my brother-in-law basically half killed us. And when I was walking away from her, something hit me. I was like, this is not the way the world should be. 
This is not the way the world should be. When you look around you in the world, what makes you have that feeling? Is it the fake? Hey, how you doing? I'm fine. Look at my Instagram feed. Clearly I'm fine. No depth, no honesty, no authenticity. You're going, no, 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 that's not how we should be. If someone says, how are you? We should answer honestly. You know what? This week has been hell. Or, no, I've had a great week. And I know you've had a rough week, but honestly, it's been good. If it somehow feels wrong that we're fake with each other, chances are you have some values in your life that this is going against. If you want to know what your values are, one of the ways to figure them out is to figure out what feels wrong in this world. Clearly, I have a value around people sitting on the side of the road for two and a half hours and no one stops. Clearly, that's my value because when I see that, I'm going, this is wrong. So take a second and ask yourself, what in the world around you feels like it's, it's just not right? The world should not be that way. Is it a closed-mindedness? Going, no, 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 we shouldn't. No, it's not. Everyone thinks this way. What if we all were generative and we could all be on a unique journey? Maybe that's your value. I have a friend who, her goal, and she accomplished it, was to spend an entire year and buy zero new clothes. Zero. My question was, why? Clearly, she has a value around frugality. She loves to spend as little as she possibly can. Anyone resonate with that? I'm not on her side at all. That value doesn't make any sense to me. I remember um, one time I, oh, actually, let me, let me back up and say this. Um, we have a, can you put up the, the quote for me? When we think about this idea of looking at the world as the way, not the way it should be, there's a story from the Bible where Jesus' students say to him, essentially this, how do we make God do what we want him to do? It's their conception. How do we pray right? Because if we pray wrong, we're going to get smitten. And so Jesus answers in this way. He says a line from a prayer. I only know it from when I was a kid, so I have to give you the, like, the really old English version. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you can get past the Middle English, the gist of the prayer is this. The world is not the way it should be. The world is not heaven. And there's something wrong with that. When we look around, we see people not caring about time or not caring about the environment. We, see, we go, no, no, the world's not the way it should be. And Jesus is saying, pray that you can make the world into heaven. For me, heaven is nobody. If someone pulls over on the side of the road because they got broken down, people stop. For you, heaven might be somebody, you know, no one ever feels lonely or no one ever is alone on Thanksgiving. 
What is it that you look at the world and go, no, no, the world isn't the way it should be. That's, this isn't heaven. Heaven would look like this. People who care about their fitness or their health, that's what heaven would look like. What in your world doesn't seem right? If you can do the work, if you can get the awareness, you can find, weave that back to your values of going, no, no, oh, this is what I value. And chances are, it'll be different for all of us. For me, that lady on the side of the road, horrible. For you, me. What's your thing? Second way to find your values. Look at the things that inspire you. There's a story from our spiritual ancestors. It's called the prodigal son story. I don't know if you've ever heard. I'll give you a quick the overview. Basically, a father and a son are standing together, and the son is so pissed at his dad, he's like, I wish you were dead. I literally want you dead. I'll take half of my inheritance and get the hell out of here, and I'll never see you again. That's harsh. Someone said that to you. What would you do? The father takes half, liquidates his estate, gives half to his son, and just says, fine, fine. The son goes off to Vegas. I always want to say hookers and blow at this point, but I know that sounds really horrible, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Bad life, right? For all those people who are into that, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, it's my upbringing. He wakes up one day. He's literally like in a sewer covered in crap with no food, starving. His friends have all left him. He's got nothing. His money's gone. He blew, you know, half of a fortune. And he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? Then he remembers his dad's employees. Sure, they work hard, but they're paid an honest living. And maybe if he goes back, his dad would give him a job. And he could have something to eat again. Put yourself in the shoes of the father. This is the kid that came to you and said, I wish you were dead. Give me half of everything you've worked your life for, and I'm going to flush it down the toilet. Screw you, dad. Now your dad, looking at this kid walking up the road towards the house, what are you feeling? I'm feeling you're dead to me, kid. You are dead. <laughs> the father doesn't even hesitate, runs right up, massive hug, and forgives him. Oh. Do you want to talk about stories that inspire me? If I was in the shoes of that father, I'm not sure I could have forgiven them because I got a bad streak on that. You cross me, you're dead to me. It's my natural wiring. The father gives that son a second chance, and I know I wouldn't. And so I read this story, and it inspires me in a way to go, Clausen, you need to start thinking about forgiveness and compassion, letting things go. Those values are important to you. If you could live that way, 
something would happen. If I could do what that father did, oh, I would look back at my life, you know, after I'm dead and I don't know, wherever, Pearly Gates or whatever that is. I'd look back at that moment where I forgave someone and go, that meant something. What stories inspire you? Read through the news. Somebody who takes in stray animals, feeds them, gets them back to health. Maybe you have a value around that compassion to animals. Maybe it's the story of the person who, you know, was poor and figured out a way to game social media. I don't know. Makes a million dollars, pays for the house in cash. What stories, when you look back at your life, are inspiring? If you're aware, you can trace that backwards and find the value. Go, oh, that's why those stories always make me cry. Relationship, connection, people taking care of each other. So the first way to find our values is this idea that we look at the world and think, this isn't the way it should be. Probably there's a value there. Second one, stories that inspire us. Oh, yeah. Third one is things that drive us nuts. You have a moment where you read about someone's behavior and you're just like, I can't believe they did that. That guy in the car who shaves his head and drove by the lady on the side of the road, can you believe he did not even stop? What are the stories that drive you nuts? There's a prophet, um, Prophets in our tradition are kind of like the people who said stuff that turned out to be right. Can you throw it up for me? Prophet says this. He's, he's talking in the voice of the character God. Remember, he's not necessarily God. He's talking in this voice to make a point. He says, what makes you think I want all your sacrifices? I'm sick of your burnt offerings of ram and fat of the fatted cattle. This is what they're supposed to do. But he's saying, I'm sick of it. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. He says, instead, learn to do good. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, and fight for the rights of widows. Orphans and widows in this text always means the poor. People who have less. He says, I'm sick of you doing the right thing. Well, that's weird. No, what he's saying is, I'm sick of you doing only this. And you don't care about anybody. What's the stories that drive you nuts? Hearing the, the rich, you know, use their wealth and their money to oppress the poor. You're like, that, that's just wrong. Okay, great. I have a friend who, man, as soon as I just make any comments around the environment, he is right on it because for him, anyone who doesn't care about the environment means so much to him. It just drives him nuts. And I care about the environment, but he takes it to a different level. It inspires me. What things in your life drive you nuts? People showing up late, not conscientious, not smiling and saying hello. I'm really bad at that. When the waiter comes over with the bill, I just pay the bill. My friend's always like, and how was your day? And I'm like, oh, geez, there I go again. What's the thing 
that drives you nuts. And if you're, if you're wise, you can find that, go backwards. Can you throw up the image of our spiritual model? Remember we've said all the way along, awareness is the core of our spiritual journeys. Some of your values are going to sit around the eye. I need to do this. I need to take care of myself. I need to eat healthier. I need to do these things. That feels meaningful to me. Some of them will be around them. I need to take care of those people. I need to help them. I need to do something. And sometimes the value is going to be around the balance. Me and my wife talk about this all the time. How do I balance the I and the them? What I need, what you need. It all starts with this awareness. If you don't know your values, this is work worth doing. Go online. I was going to post a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, okay. You literally can search, find my values on Google, and you're going to find six billion different things. If you know them, there's a pathway. You'll start to give up certain things in your life to do other things. I remember seeing one time I was, I was 16 and I was on a, a ferry in central BC sitting at the top and I looked down and I see this couple on dual sport motorcycles. This is basically, it looks like a dirt bike that can go on the road. It can go anywhere, anywhere. And I was like, I want that. Why? Because I value adventure. I will give up all kinds of things, including sleep, including a body that feels good most of the time, to have adventure. I will give up any coffee, any Starbucks treat to be able to pay for gas so I can go ride my motorbike because that's my value. You might be going, I need to stop spending money on my car and buying better coffees because the experience of something delicious is meaningful to me. Great. Stop going dirt biking. Well, that doesn't sound right. What do you need to give up to do the things that you value? What do you need to say no to and start saying yes to? Is a connection. It's Thanksgiving. Maybe your value is, I need to make sure no one's alone on Thanksgiving. Great. What do you need to do to make that happen? When we look back at our lives, you know, on our deathbeds, what will you look back and say, that meant something? You know, I have this rule after that experience where if I see someone on the side of the road, I stop. We're going to something. All of a sudden, my wife sees me reef over the car. I'm like, oh, sorry, babe. She's like, I know. You, you stop. This is what you do. This is what you do. The number of things I've gone to with, like, dirty hands and, like, you know. And it's not because I'm wired to change tires. I know how to change a tire. It's not rocket science, folks. It's not some special thing. And, and there's not some story in my past where, you know, I broke down and some angel came and took care of me. Or they didn't. I've broken down more times than I can count. I just fixed my car. It's no big deal. Kind of what I do. But I do it because I want a world where no one is stranded. I want to be a part of that world. Sometimes the moment isn't even that good. The other day I helped a lady get to a funeral. That was kind of cool. I felt a little bit meaningful. Went, 
One time I pulled over and it was in the rain. That didn't feel very meaningful. But the larger story for me always feels meaningful. This is the world I want. And if that means I have to stop, if that means I'm late to something, if that means I walk into a thing with dirty hands, okay. What thing can you tie into? If you don't know, send me an email, send Jeff an email. We'll help you work through it. I'm going to be at the discussion group today. Stay. You don't have to go and get turkey just yet. Come chat. Explore what it is that's meaningful to you. And if you're going, I don't know, I just, you know, I'm just me and I, you know, I don't know what I can do. We'll talk. We'll figure it out. Because we can make this world a better place if we tie into those things that are meaningful to us. Once you figure out what's meaningful, the next step is what Jeff talked about. How do you get that into your life? It's all good to say one time 20 years ago, I pulled over for a lady and changed her tire. Yay, Vince. When's the last time I did that? How do we get this into our lives on a consistent basis? Especially post-pandemic. How do we connect with people? If that's what's meaningful, connection, how do we put that into our lives on a regular basis? Our prayer for you, our prayer for me, geez, is that we live meaningful lives. Lives that matter. And that each of us on our deathbed can look back at our life and say, I lived the life the best I could. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. Stick around. Come this, the, we're right in the library. I'll be there in just like two minutes. And again, have a great Thanksgiving. See you, everyone.